Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. What? I don't know. Fuck it. We're still out of introductions. Uh, the, The shipments are still coming. We've been told the supply lines are holding out, but they have not been trucked into us yet. So... You know, um, we will see. At some point, this introduction shortage will end. I will promise you, my fellow Americans, that. But it just hasn't yet. We're still out of intros. But we're not out of Soren Bowie's. Soren! Uh, we are flush in Soren Bowie's. I would dare yeah. say lousy with Soren's. Yeah, filthy with Soren. This is the most we've ever had in this podcast, at least. <laughs> um and tied for the most that I've ever had during that 10-year period where we worked together. <laughs> yes, and I'll say, completely useless during a disaster. You don't want these. They're, they can't help you. Now, that's not true, because one of the things, Soren, you're, you're a number of things. Uh, you are currently a writer for the TV show American Dad. You were formerly my coworker at Cracked. You are uh, a host of the, co-host of the podcast, Quick Question, with my friend Daniel O'Brien. Uh, and you have also helped discover a lost city in the desert. And I'm not going to give any more d- detail to my audience than that, but that's not a joke. That's just a thing Soren did one time, which he has in common <laughs> with our, our host today, kind of, not really. <laughs> Henry Morton Stanley, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, you'll find along the way that there are a lot of things he and I have in common. <laughs> <laughs> you have discovered a city, and again, no more detail will be given. So off we go into the tale. So, um... I think it's it's hard to adequately convey to people what Africa... Oh, also, this is Behind the Bastards. You probably knew that because this is <laughs> part two of the episode. Thank you. Uh, 
it's hard to adequately convey to people today like what African explorers were to Europeans in the mid 1800s and late 1800s. Like the closest thing we have today would be like a cross between a major YouTube star and a pop musician. Like you, you have to think about these guys kind of the way people think of Beyonce and Rihanna today. Like they are that level of worshipped and adored um, by a lot of people. Which is hard to get your head around because they're all like Stanley. Um, so as Stanley stared out towards Africa, you know, at this point in his career, age twenty-seven, uh, two of the most famous explorers in the world were Richard Burton and John Speck. Uh, they just finished their epic journey from Africa's east coast to Lake Tanganyika, which is the uh, the longest freshwater lake on Earth. And they had quote unquote discovered Lake Victoria, the largest body of water in Africa, during this trip. Uh, it was considered to be like this huge deal. Everybody was very excited. People couldn't shut the fuck up about Lake Victoria and about Burton and Speck. Uh, And Americans were obsessed with them, too. Now, one of the most famous explorers of this day was David Livingston. He was a physician and a Christian evangelist from Scotland. Now, uh, uh, Livingston was an abolitionist, uh, and his focus was on ending what is often referred to as the Arab slave trade in Africa. And you hear about the Arab slave trade in Africa today, usually when people are explaining how the Confederacy wasn't all that bad because Arabs (laughs) were the real villains of the slave trade. Um, (laughs) Yeah, and it, it, yeah, so uh, Livingston, the Arab slave trade was a real thing, but it's probably wrong to call it the Arab slave trade. A, a decent number of the people who were running the trade were Arabs, but they were North African Arabs, and a lot of them weren't Arabs. Like, the, a, lot, a lot of the people are Swahili and stuff like that. These are people from, like, North Africa. Some of them are Arabs. Some of them aren't. It gets reduced to being the Arab slave trades that people can blame Arabs. Um, but it's, you know, it's it's a bunch of people from one part of Africa enslaving, enslaving people from another part of Africa and selling them somewhere. It's a bad thing but it's not quite the way it's it's portrayed today um so uh livingston was committed to ending this kind of slavery um i didn't hear much about him on the civil war i think he probably was anti uh confederacy in this but uh england itself wasn't necessarily in anyway we'll move on uh he was convinced that the answer (laughs) he was committed to ending slavery in africa um, he was committed to ending slavery in Africa, and he was convinced that the answer to doing so was what he called legitimate trade. Uh, Livingston was a believer in Christianity, commerce, and civilization. Those That was one of his, like, catchphrases, uh, saying that Christianity, commerce, and civilization would free black Africans from slavery. Um, that the violent colonial domination of millions of people was the only way to achieve this was not something that Livingston ever really said, but it was the inevitable result of his beliefs. Um, so... It's cool. Yeah, when you're trying to build a utopia, you got to break a few eggs, man. Yeah, and Livingston felt a powerful desire to connect the different villages, towns, and ports of Central Africa in order to facilitate easier trade and allow missionaries to move around more easily and Christianize the continent. Um, He wanted to use the many lakes and rivers of Central Africa as highways to facilitate this trade. But in order to do that, he had to map them. Uh, And that's just what Livingston set out to do. He started mapping out the Congo River, uh, and he had a series of daring adventures on the way. For one example, at one point, he he agreed to help a village by trying to kill a lion that was hunting them. Um, And he hit the lion, but like the lion still attacked him and his arm was horribly mauled so he's like these are the kind of things this guy gets up to and he gets very he writes books which are very popular and he's he becomes you know moderately famous he's not the most popular explorer but he's up there um 
And Stanley reads one of his books and he's enthralled. Now, the height of Livingston's fame came in the late 1850s when he succeeded in convincing a series of backers to fund his effort to map the Zambezi River so that he could create a major artery through which he could pump Christianity and capitalism into the heart of Africa. He succeeded in working out a deal with the London Missionary Society, but sort of misled them about the extent uh, to which the government supported his efforts. The result of which of this is that he brought a shitload of missionaries into a place that was extremely dangerous and a bunch of them and more importantly, their young children died horribly. Uh, This disaster was not good for Livingston's PR. uh, And by 1866, he was seen as something of a has-been. You would say he's like the Jeremy Renner of guys who explore Africa in this period. (laughs) Uh, Now, I'm curious when he's like, when his goal is to uh, find out where the, like the, this find this river and explore this river Mm -hmm, so that mm -hmm. he can pump Christianity into that area. Yeah. My phrasing. Yeah. 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 I'm curious, like how that, what that looks like logistically. Like I can get that you would import and export stuff, but something as nebulous as religion, are you just pumping a bunch of white Christians into that area and being like, eventually this will take root. Yeah, basically, you're sending a lot of them there to form little communities, to have businesses, and also to, to to witness to people. And kind of the assumption I think Livingston makes is that the benefits of white Christian civilization will just be so obvious that eventually this will take root and take over, you know, the way things had been. Got it. He wants, he wants what you'd call a soft genocide. He doesn't want to <laughs> kill any of the people. That's not the kind of guy Livingston is. But he wants to completely change every aspect of their old life and destroy the old culture because his is better. So, right. like like a soft genocide. <laughs> yeah. Again, the English were the slow Nazis. Like, that's the way to look at them. Uh, yeah. And they have a way higher death toll than the Nazis because being slow lets you do that. But anyway, uh, so yeah, he uh, it's cool. So in 1866, uh, sort of disgraced Jeremy Renner type David Livingston sets off on another one of his adventures to find the source of the Nile. Uh, He went missing, and for years, very little was heard from the doctor. By 1868, all of Europe was in an uproar over the fate of David Livingston. Within several English social clubs, gears began churning to raise money for an expedition to rescue the good doctor, or to find evidence of his demise. But sitting over in the United States, keeping an eye on the news, Henry Morton Stanley was able to see something important in the disappearance of David Livingston. An opportunity for Henry Morton Stanley. Yeah. (laughs) get to africa now henry yeah if he could somehow convince his new employer to send him to africa and then track down livingston himself he would have the biggest scoop in all of journalism it would be the kind of story that would not just make his career but make him into a global celebrity and there was nothing henry morton stanley wanted more he spent quite a lot of time trying to convince the publisher of the new york herald to fund his expedition he succeeded once but then livingston turned up briefly again and stanley putted around the middle east you know doing Doing that sort of journalism instead. It took until 1869 for things to really start to happen with this story. So like four years after Livingston goes missing. Uh, and Stanley's version of the story of how he got approval to do this is a lie, but it's also the most coherent version of the tale. So we're going to start here. I'm going to quote Adam Hochschild's write-up of it. In 1869, Stanley received an urgent telegram from Bennett, his boss, come to Paris on important business. A journalist, Stanley wrote with the self-importance that had now become part of his public persona is like a gladiator in the arena, any flinching, any cowardice, and he is lost. The gladiator meets the sword that is sharpened for his bosom. The roving correspondent meets the command that may send him to his doom. He dashed off to Paris to meet his publisher at the Grand Hotel. There, a dramatic conversation about Livingston climaxed with Bennett saying, I mean that you shall go and find him wherever you 
you may hear that he is, and to get what news you can of him, and perhaps the old man may be in want. Take enough with you to help him if he should require it. But do what you think is best, but find Livingston. Now, none of this actually happened. Uh, It's a lie that Stanley cooked up because it made a good introduction for the book he eventually wrote about his expedition, and he tore up the pages of his diary from those days, so we will never know what actually went down. Um, The whole Livingston journey? journey No, 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 just the whole story of how he convinced his boss to send him. Okay. Um, The real story seems to basically be that he got approval because it was a big story, and then his boss backed out a bunch of times, and eventually Stanley kind of conned his way into pulling money out of the company accounts and then disappearing in Africa and when he reappeared with the story his boss agreed to pretend that nothing bad had happened Got it. you know that's kind of the gist of it I think that's it's a thing. weird story yeah with a, there's nothing you want more in a journalist than a really good liar and that's <laughs> that's exactly what he was and I'm sure yeah. his plan was to go there and be like it does not matter if I find him or not <laughs> the story will be good. I will tell people yeah. I found him. No, we live in 1860. Nobody knows. Yeah. If I can get there, I will make a fucking story out of this. I just need the money to get to Africa and hire a bunch of people to help me not die. Right. Um. So he finally begins his journey into the interior of Africa in March 1871. The trip started out well, if you believe Stanley, and he found himself falling in love with the native fauna and flora of Africa. He wrote that he felt like an English nobleman in a massive private park. Quote, I felt momentarily proud that I owned such a vast domain inhabited by such noble beasts, the pride of the African forests. So he is... One thing you can say about Stanley, he is the most fucking... Pedal to the fucking metal colonialist. Like there is not e- not even a second that it takes him to be like, yeah, this this is this feels like mine. <laughs> like, yeah, and I also feel like, like Africa's mine. <laughs> he's so obsessed with being a nobleman that he even in yeah. Africa he's like this. This feels like it, right? This is what it's like. Yeah. It's, <laughs> this is are, what it's if like. If I squint, these look like my moors that I'm out wandering around on my horseback yeah. on. It rules. So for a little while, Stanley was in paradise. He was followed, as always, by much younger men whose job it was to see to his every need and to adore him. His translator, Salim, fit this bill to a T, as did Kalulu, the young slave that he had bought and made into a butler. <laughs> so he owns a slave. Um, and yeah. as Jill has to do a lot of... <laughs> He's got to do a lot of groundwork to try to turn this one around, Soren. Uh, I'm very it curious is, about his acrobatics. It is hard to turn a slave owner into not a racist, but Jill <laughs> gives it the old college try. Yes. <laughs> He describes, Jeel describes Kalulu as, quote, the slave boy whom he would free by purchase to be his butler and valet. Henry would be reminded of the boys at the workhouse who had been his de facto family during his adolescence. Not that his affection for them would stop him from beating both Salim and Kalulu for crimes such as stealing food and breaking things. so his the way that he describes it or he 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 washes it away is he's like he has an affinity for him because he reminds him of the slaves at the workhouse where he used to he still beats the shit out of this slave don't get me wrong beats the shit out of this slave it's also worth noting and geo kind of brushes over this that stanley doesn't like kalulu's original name and he just changes it oh nice (laughs) he just gives him a new name this is a better name for you yeah, Ugh. I hate Stanley's that relationship. Name. Yeah, Stanley You're Carl from now on. 
who again, Jill repeatedly points out what an anti-slavery crusader Stanley is, owns a slave whose name that he changes and whom he beats. And this is different from slavery for a variety of reasons that neither Jill nor I have the time to get into right now. So Do we know the name change. <laughs> um, oh, boy. Yeah, it's 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 somewhere in here. Oh man, I uh, hope it's like I hope he named him like Karen, just like yeah. a masculine. No, 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 no. Kalulu <laughs> is the name he changes it to, and it's what oh. Kalulu goes by for the rest of his life, um, or what the kid goes by for the rest of his life. Like Stanley brings him back to England and stuff. Like I don't know, it is one of those things. You know, a lot of times people will defend these guys while pointing out that like these people who they very clearly abused and owned, like liked them and spoke pleasantly about them the rest of their days and like that's really not the point <laughs> yeah <laughs> like there's a lot of former terrorist like kidnapping victims in fucking stockholm or whatever you know um <laughs> who will speak fondly of them it's yeah yeah he wrote a book about kalulu years later called my kalulu prince king and slave which he called a romance for boys so that's Ew. That's not great either. Um, <sighs> Henry, yeah, deal yeah. with your sexuality, man. Yeah, yeah. And he renamed him from Kalulu's real name uh, was Nagudu Mahali, uh, which means my brother's wealth. Uh, yeah. And yeah, he renamed him Kalulu, which means a young male antelope, and then made him carry his gun. That was Kalulu's big gig. Um, so that's cool. Uh, cool and <laughs> Sorry, good. Nagudu. Nagudu. That's... Yeah, Nadugu <laughs> Mahali. That's a he changed his for you. name and turned him into a gun rack. That's yeah, great. <laughs> Which is not racist. And you know what else is not racist, Soren? Uh, Abraham Lincoln. He he was profoundly racist, but he gets a partial pass for b- destroying the Confederacy. <laughs> oh, I would say partial. Um, yeah. Okay. What's not racist? What's uh, not racist? A haircut. A haircut. I mean, actually, there's a lot of politics yeah, around haircuts yeah, and how like, they're... That could go badly as well, as, as well. Oranges. Not racist. Incapable of racism by dint of being a fruit. So, this podcast is supported by oranges, the fruit that hates racism. <laughs> The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild mini-games. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums, delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches, unique playing pieces, and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. My favorite spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. Wow, how have I been living like this? It's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless, when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. Wow, how have I been affording this? It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. Say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills, and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. 
Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash behind. That's mintmobile.com slash behind. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash behind. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. With their flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, The CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. You'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We've all got a lot going on right now, especially this year. A lot of stress, different stresses, big things, small things, medium things, family things, friend things, loved one things, just, you know, things. And when we keep those things bottled up, they can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a good way to get those things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. Therapy's helped me learn positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. And therapy can empower you to be, you know, a better or at least happier version of yourself. It's not just for people who have experienced trauma or who are dealing with something immediate and serious. It can just be a way to kind of perform maintenance on your own person. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash behind today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash behind. We're back. Oh, my gosh. So, boy, howdy. So, Stanley uh, uh, sets off on this expedition to find Dr. Livingston. And at the time, Dr. Livingston is, I don't know, okay is probably strong. He was broken, abandoned in Central Africa and is regularly terribly ill. But he was also, like, just kind of hanging out in a house in a village as the local white guy. And he wasn't in more danger than, like, any given white dude was in a place where they had no natural immunity to all these different horrible diseases that were uh, flopping around in the flies and stuff, you know? So this um, isn't like a heart of darkness situation where he's gone down there and become a God in some remote no, area. No, no, he just kind of lives there and they're like, yeah, that's, that's the white guy we got. <laughs> yeah, We got one. <laughs> yeah, we got one. <laughs> Tell all the other villages we got one. Yeah. Starting in 1867, Livingston's own followers had stolen so much for him that he'd been forced to travel with Arab Swahili slave caravans for safety while, like, hating these people and the Arab slave trade. Um, and while he describes all this, our buddy Tim Geel hat thinks that you, the reader, need to know that even this kind of slavery wasn't super bad for black people. Um, and I'm going to 
give you more of Tim right now, who is Bradley becoming the real bastard of the story. <laughs> <laughs> Livingston could endure his humiliating dependence on men he considered evildoers, largely because he made a distinction between Arab slavery as an institution, the treatment and possession of domestic slaves, and the cruel process by which Africans were torn from their homes. The slaves' journey by land and sea was appallingly cruel, but on arrival in Arabia, they were usually treated better than many British factory workers. <laughs> <laughs> oh okay great okay. thank you tim Geel. didn't need that defense of slavery <laughs> not necessary to tell the story actually right. yeah tim is quickly working his way up to having his own episode <laughs> yeah this is basically the tim Geel episode stanley has the defense of growing up in a time when almost everyone was some kind of monster um so Stanley, as Stanley got deeper into Africa, problems began to surface. Some of his men expressed displeasure under his leadership, and Stanley generally responded to this by flogging them. When they were 125 miles inland, Stanley flogged his cook for incorrigible dishonesty and waste, which I think was just like wasting food. Um, he fired the cook and told him to leave. But when the cook left, Stanley called him a deserter and sent soldiers out to bring him back. Jeel says this shows his steely determination. Throughout this adventure, Stanley would send his soldiers out after disorders and order men beaten and chained for not wanting to work. This is, again, different from slavery because, of course, Henry Morton Stanley was an abolitionist. Mm. Um, so that's good. Um, so, yeah, Livingston had two white guys with him on this journey. Uh, when one of the two of them got sick, he abandoned him to die in a village and continued on. Stanley had very little sympathy for people whose illness rendered them unable to work for days, even though he was himself frequently and horrifically ill on these journeys. Uh, Tim Geel, unbiased biographer, wants you to know that while he tromped through other people's land, Stanley was a pretty good guest of the Africans. <laughs> oh, great. Quote, Though impatient with white colleagues, he showed commendable restraint with Africans. The Wagogo, whose territory lay midway between the coast and Lake Tanganyika, were, in Stanley's words, clannish and full of fight. And their young warriors repeatedly rushed up to within a few feet of him and shouted in his face before moving closer to inspect his clothes. The traveler in Wagogo territory, wrote Henry, was tempted a score of times each day to draw a bead with his rifle, but such an outburst of anger would be bitterly regretted afterwards. Stanley was ill with fever at the time, and on two occasions lashed out with the whip but he paid these people generously for the rite of passage through their territory the equivalent of 170 dollars in gold so he whipped them sometimes for asking what was up but he paid them yeah i also like picturing this man in a pith helmet like feverishly hallucinating and whipping people throughout the jungle <laughs> and tim Geel being like basically a good guest <laughs> yeah. what's the problem he was hospitable what I would I would criticize him more for this, but I have lost count of the number of people that I have whipped in their own homes for unclear reasons while feverish. <laughs> so I'm not going to give Stanley too much pain. It happens, you know? We've all whipped a few people we wish we hadn't whipped when we had a fever and wound up in their house somehow. I'm not going to... You don't... Yeah, you don't throw stones if you live in whip houses. <laughs> exactly. And every house is a whip house when you bring a whip into every house you, you enter. bring your own whip, yeah. Now, <clears throat> <laughs> always. 
So Stanley did succeed eventually in his goal of tracking David Livingston down. He found him in the village of Ujiji in November of 1871. The moment the two met is one of the most famous stories in all of journalism. Stanley and Livingston, the two only white men around for miles, surrounded by black and Arab servants and soldiers, walk up to one another, and Stanley dryly asks, Dr. Livingston, I presume? And the joke here is that Livingston's the only other white guy for, like, the fucking length of multiple states. Of course it's Dr. Livingston. Um... <laughs> And for his part, Giles thinks this was a lie, um, like that this recitation of events was a lie and that Stanley's real introduction was like, uh, hi, Dr. Livingston, my name is Stanley. You know, it was, it was a, a normal thing that a person would say. Uh, again, <laughs> yeah, well, hi, hit- Dr. Livingston, my name is John. No, I'm yeah, sorry. Uh, oh. Yeah, shit. Ah, I meant that to be so much better. <laughs> yeah. His actual notes, uh, uh, Stanley's actual notes about their moment of meeting were again destroyed. <laughs> so, uh, and Livingston died a year later before ever returning to Europe. So there was never anyone to question Stanley's recitation of events or never anyone white and no other white person at the time was going to ask like a black dude what had really happened. Uh, so, yep. Uh, so we don't ever know. The Dr. Livingston, I presume, is just something he might probably made up afterwards. He, he made up because it sounded better. Um, what a dick. Yeah, and it's really funny because Jill is more concerned. Like, the honest documentarian in him means he needs to let people know that Stanley's most famous line was a lie. But he he is so, he loves Henry Morton Stanley so much that he spends more time defending him about this than he does for owning a human being. Yes. <laughs> it's awesome. You get twisted into these weird priorities yeah. when you're trying to defend uh, somebody like this. I can't get my image of this guy together in my head. Um, But he writes, I hope this will not affect Stanley's public fame. It seems to me that his invention of an adoptive (laughs) father and and his setting himself the task of finding Dr. Livingston were remarkable enough in their own right to merit remembrance. To go on from there, to invent a greeting so memorable that it would be recognized by millions over a century and a quarter later, places him in a class all his own. (laughs) Yes, it does. A very specific class. A very specific class. But not the one you're thinking of. Yeah, not a good one. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Now, Livingston and Stanley spent four months together, which were probably the happiest four months of Stanley's life. And it does seem that the two men grew very close. And Livingston, who was 60, acted as a sort of father figure to Stanley. They explored together for a little while, but then Stanley had to go. He had a story to file, and Livingston wasn't ready to go back to to England or whatever. Now, the story was a massive hit. It was the biggest news item in the world. In one fell swoop, Stanley became among the most famous people on the planet. He wrote a book to go with his articles, How I Found Livingston. And in doing this, he sort of invented an entire genre. One historian notes that he's the progenitor of all the subsequent professional travel writers. Like the, Stanley kind of invents the discipline of travel writing. As a result. He's not like the very first person to do it, but he like he nails it for the first time in a way that's like really echoes throughout history. Um, Adam Hosschild writes, his articles, books, and speaking tours bought him greater riches than any other travel writer of his time, and probably the next century as well. In 1874, the Herald paid for him to go on another adventure. This time, Stanley traced the course of a river named the Lualaba, and in the process, he discovered the origin of the Congo River. Uh, He started this journey with 228 people, and over the course of 7,000 miles, more than half of them died. As the corpses piled up, people attempted to desert. Stanley responded to this by capturing and chaining those people up. Jill notes that Stanley preferred chaining people up because it was nicer than beating them. (laughs) (laughs) our hero (laughs) 
Oh, so cool. <laughs> Stanley also continued his marked preference of having adoring white uh, younger men accompany him on his yeah. journey. And it all means three nothing of them without a witness. Yeah, exactly. But unfortunately, all three of them die. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> and they die shame. they die just horribly like the worst the worst deaths you can imagine <laughs> that's basically all the white guys stanley ever goes on trips with die the worst deaths human beings can die <laughs> yeah they're all red shirts that's great and then stanley gets to lie about them <laughs> terrible uh, which they're all pieces of shit too like i'm not gonna you know whatever so stanley gets back from his journey in august of 1877 and publishes his book on it in 1878, Through the Dark Continent. And Henry Morton Stanley is generally credited as being the man who popularized that term, and he may even have invented it. Um, so he's like, he's the guy who makes Dark Continent a household name for Africa. Uh, and that is, there's huge consequences to that. Like, it, it, to the intent, like, he contributes to the death of tens of millions as a result of this. Yeah. Um, True to form, Stanley exaggerated every single number he could in this book, claiming his, his expedition had a hundred more members than it really did, exaggerating the number of natives as men killed in gunfights and all. Every number is a lie, basically. In yes, one key this is story, good stuff. This is like yeah. this is lying in the wrong direction to a T. This yeah. is like I was responsible for more dead men than Oh, I got so many of. more people killed. <laughs> Uh, in one key story, uh, his own notes record six kills during a firefight, but his book claims 35. Yes. Um, and again, this is a firefight because he like barged into some people's land and started stealing shit and they got angry. So he's like, I had no choice but to shoot them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and also, true to form, Ch T Tim Geo uses the fact that Stanley lied about how many people he killed as a basis for a lot of his argument that Stanley was has been unfairly treated by history and was a good dude. He frames this as Stanley just being very insecure because of his childhood in the workhouse. <laughs> God, what a kindred spirit Jill has yeah. found in oh, Henry Morton Stanley. It's so good. <laughs> if if Jill had been alive during this time, he absolutely would have gotten hired to follow Stanley on a journey, and he would have died the most <laughs> yeah. unimaginably painful death he, during it. He would have been eaten by fire ants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Jill would have like lied and said that he started one of the many gunfights he had with natives. Yeah, he would have lied and said that, yeah, that, that, that the natives' natural attraction to Jill was what forced yeah. him to to kill all of them. Yeah, again, this is a guy whose whose career as an adventurer start, starts with getting a young boy who adores him raped with knives and then stealing that kid's money. <laughs> <laughs> He's such a piece of shit. So. Uh, yeah. Now, his acknowledgement of, of, yeah, it's, it's great. So Stanley and his men try to buy passage and pay for food when possible on their journeys, but they also w were very perfectly happy to kill people and wage war when local people didn't want to sell them those things. Jill writes, quote, his obsession had been whether to take food by force or risk marching on in the hope of obtaining food at the next village. On many occasions, he was obliged by destitution to throw himself on the mercy of the Arab Swahili slave traders and ask them to feed him and his followers. During my first visit to Belgium, I read a very significant passage in one of Stanley's diaries, which I have never seen quoted in any book. In this entry, Stanley showed that he had recognized the fundamental moral problem facing all European travelers. We went into the heart of Africa self-invited, he wrote. Therein lies our fault, but it was not so grave that our lives, when threatened, should be forfeited. So Stanley... 
Stanley knows it's fucked up to just barge into someone's home and then take their shit at gunpoint and kill them when they say he knows I'm invading people's homes and murdering them for food. And that's not good. But he also argues that because I'm starving, it's okay for me to do this. Right. What other <laughs> choice do I have? What other? You could not be in Africa, dude. <laughs> no, <laughs> like, not be reasonable. Grow mm-hmm. up. <laughs> what other choice do I have? Yeah, now? you could just not do this. <laughs> yeah. it, all, millions of people around the world managed to not do this during the same period. That could have been you, buddy. <laughs> like, yes, but none of them are me. Yeah. Henry Morton Stanley. Henry Morton Stanley. Yeah. <laughs> Now, this reasoning is dubious enough on its own, but Stanley's contribution to death and destruction in Africa went far beyond a few hundred bullets fired, or even beyond the three of his own men that he hanged. Uh, I'm going to quote now from a write-up titled Henry Morton Stanley and His Critics from the Oxford University Press. He lynched people. (laughs) Of course! Soren, you're not going to go on journeys through the heart of Africa and not hang some of the people that you can't chain or whip into submission. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, of course. Quote, on his death in 1904, Sidney Lowe claimed that the map of Africa is a monument to Stanley. Such an epitaph draws our attention not only to Stanley's contributions to geographical science arising from various African expeditions between 1871 and 1890, but also to his role as an agent of European colonial influence. For Stanley was a tireless advocate of commercial and political intervention in Africa. Indeed, to describe him as the Napoleon of African travelers seems particularly appropriate in view of both the scale of his ambitions and the lengths he was prepared to go in order to realize them. His career as an explorer bridges what is sometimes referred to as the golden age of African exploration, 1851 to 1878, and the era of the scramble for Africa, 1884 to 91. If the 1870s were indeed a critical turning point in the history of European involvement in Africa, then Stanley himself played a significant role in the transition to new forms of imperialism in the closing decades of the 19th century. See, and this is critical, there was colonialism in Africa before Stanley, But what we think of as colonialism in Africa was invented in a lot of ways by Henry Morton Stanley. Most of Africa wasn't quote unquote owned by European powers when he gets there. And his work helps inspire the political changes that leads to that changing. He sparks what's known as the scramble for Africa. And some of this was deliberate. It was part of a plot by King Leopold to get control of the Congo. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. Um, I want to talk about Stanley's specific contribution, though, to like the evolution of colonialism, because he's critical in the whole worldwide thing. See, he believed, like Livingston did, that slavery was the ultimate evil and had to be fought by sending Europeans in to facilitate trade. Sometimes that process meant chaining or whipping or beating or executing Africans who didn't play along with this trade. If or so, owning Stanley, slaves. Yeah, or owning slaves. If so, this was all a regrettable necessity of freeing people. Now, <laughs> <laughs> I love that he always, t- his, his excuse yeah. every single time is, my hands are tied. And it's crazy how this never changes, and you have literal reports from the U.S. military in Vietnam that are like, we had to burn down the village to save it. <laughs> like, this is, this is always the logic of this sort of thing. But Stanley helps develop this language of, of justifying the most violent kind of imperialism. So at one point, while sailing through Lake Tanganyika, Stanley writes, quote, The beach was crowded with infuriates and mockers. These are like local Africans who are just kind of like hooting and hollering and yelling at him because they don't want him in their area. Uh, we perceived we were followed by several canoes, and some of which we saw spears shaken at us. I opened on them with the Winchester repeating rifle. Six shots and four deaths were sufficient to quiet the mocking. <laughs> so they made fun of me, so I killed four men. <laughs> they <laughs> I just were, gunned down. Understand. Yeah. I walked into their home, (laughs) they laughed at me, 
And so I murdered four of them. And then they stopped laughing. (laughs) Are you trying to tell me I'm not a hero for that? (laughs) Don't try to tell Tim Geal that. He will get fucking angry. Yeah. So Stanley was not the first or the only white man to stumble into Africa with a pile of guns and the desire to own things. But he was one of the most influential. And his writings in this period helped to inspire countless millions of white folks around the world to embrace the conquest of Africa. Quote, His writings represented Central Africa as a primeval place, untouched by history, yet full of possibility. They were far from unique in this respect, of course. In the period between the publication of Stanley's Through the Dark Continent, 1878, and Conrad's Heart of Darkness, 1903, the vision of darkest Africa appears to have gained an ever more powerful hold in the minds of Europeans. As Patrick Brantlinger observes, Africa grew dark as Victorian explorers, missionaries, and scientists flooded it with light, which is a Solid turn of phrase. The peculiar power of this myth of the dark continent lay in its fusion of a complex of images of race, science, and religion. The iconography of light and darkness thus represented European penetration of Africa as simultaneously a process of domination, enlightenment, and emancipation. Although Stanley did not create this myth, his writings popularized existing stereotypes, combining the symbolism of darkest Africa with an unshakable faith in the potential for European mastery over the entire continent. His mission, as it was described in 1884, was to strike a white line across the dark continent. Oh, yikes. Boy, howdy. (laughs) Oh, man. Now, Tim Geale, greatest biographer of all time. Let's get that out of the way right away. Tim Geale tries to patch over the kind of fundamental racism of what Stanley's doing by just sort of sharing individual stories about times when he wasn't shitty to individual African people. Uh, <laughs> yeah, when you're not shitty 100% of the time, it means you're a yeah. good person. Yeah, he, he includes a lot of lines that's like, you know, Stanley would like meet a specific tribe and describe them all as attractive and intelligent and kind. And Jill's like, would a racist write this? Yeah. <laughs> Did you know that Hitler had a dog? Uh, yeah. And in doing this, Geo ignores lines from Stanley's journal like this. The blacks give an immense amount of trouble. They are too ungrateful for my fancy. Now, Geo <laughs> highlights that Stanley wrote of being prepared to admit any black man possessing the attributes of true manhood or any good qualities to a brotherhood with myself. But number one ignores how racist this line is, but also ignores other lines like the savage only respects force, power, boldness and decision. And... Perhaps most racist of all, this line about Afro-Arab people from non-racist Henry Morton Stanley, quote, for the half-castes, I have great contempt. They are neither black nor white, neither good nor bad, neither to be admired nor hated. They are all things at all times. If I saw a miserable half-starved Negro, I was always sure to be told he belonged to a half-caste. Cringing and hypocritical, cowardly and debased, treacherous and mean, the syphilitic, blear-eyed, pallid-skinned abortion of an Africanized Arab. Holy shit, Henry. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Let us, Tim Geal is, I... I w- I'm going to look up one of the times. He doesn't use the word racism often in his book. Like, he defends him from racism, but he really... There's seven matches in the entire book. And I want to read one quote from... Uh, oh, sorry. This is... We're not even at a... <laughs> we're not even at... Okay, before I get into something Jill wrote, uh, this is one of the book quotes about Jill's book by Jane Ridley of Spectator Magazine when she put it on their Books of the Year list. And Spectator is like a right-wing news website. Yeah, yeah. Wise, fair, and deeply researched, Geale's book sets the record straight on the great Victorian explorer, exonerating him from allegations of racism, brutality, and suppressed homosexuality. 
<laughs> so Ridley not only is like racism and murder are the same as being gay, but also he wasn't any of those things. <laughs> you, yeah, Meanwhile, you know Tim Geo sh- repeatedly talks about him whipping people. <laughs> That's wonderful. Oh. But he had to. He had no choice, Robert. He had to because they weren't. They didn't. They weren't right. They weren't working hard enough. Anyway, here's the line from Tim Geale I wanted to read you. Today, a vivid and uniquely adventurous life like Stanley's challenges our ability to be just and objective, both about his story and about the vices and virtues of his contemporaries' worldviews. Worldview. His absence of racism was all the more remarkable for him having lived in the Deep South. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> His absence of racism. His complete absence. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, nothing wonderful. about the Confederacy washed off at all on this man who <laughs> fought for the Confederacy and then helped enslave Africa. Not a single thing. He didn't know what he was fighting for, everyone. It's fine. Yeah. Now, likewise, when Giel is forced to deal with Stanley's dark side, he tends to make very quick, vague references to unfortunate floggings and beatings. He generally neglects to cite for us what Stanley wrote in his own notebook when he was flogging people, and thus excludes lines like, When mud and wet sapped the physical energy of the lazily inclined, a dog whip became their backs, restoring them to sound, sometimes to an extravagant activity. Yeah, well, you when, yeah. They, when they start to to wane, you got to whip them back into shape. You got to whip them back into shape. That's not racist to whip only black people. It's fine. Yeah, come on, man. A lot of not racist people whip only one specific type of people. They are lucky to be whipped when all of his white counterparts were eaten yeah. by fire ants and died in quicksand. I mean, hey, the least we can say for Hitler is he mostly whipped, I think actually only whipped white people. So... <laughs> Hitler's whip was woker than Stanley's if you needed to to <laughs> to, <laughs> to categorize those two. Oh boy. So, Stanley considered Africa to be an unpeopled country, and his dream was very clearly to see it colonized with white folks, just like North America. He didn't want all the black people killed, but he kind of assumed that a lot of them would die out and be marginalized during, you know, the spread of white people all over Africa. Uh He wrote, quote, There are plenty of pilgrim fathers among the Anglo-Saxon race yet, and when America is filled up with their descendants, who shall say that Africa shall not be their next resting place? And true to his convictions, Henry Morton Stanley's next great career move would do what he thought was the best thing he could do to open Africa to further white exploitation. He took a gig with King Leopold II of Belgium. Now, we're not going to get into crazy detail about this because we do in our two-parter on Leopold. The short of it is that the King of Belgium sneakily convinced Europe that his country owned Central Africa, and then he killed half the people there by working them to death to produce rubber. Stanley was a key part of that, and it's easy to see why work with the King of Belgium on this project would have appealed to him outside of financial incentives. Stanley's life outside of exploring was a little bit of a disaster. He'd been engaged to a woman named Katie Gal Roberts before he set off for the Congo, but she left him for an architect while he was there, and he like discovered that she'd gotten married to someone else when he got back. This isn't like the first time something like this happens to him either. Um, <laughs> like he's just got this thing of falling in love with girls, promising himself to them, and then going to Africa for multiple years. (laughs) And then he comes back and he's like, that woman wasn't loyal. (laughs) Yeah. I will probably die where I go. Mm -hmm. I will be on the verge of death the entire time. Everyone around me will die. (laughs) Yeah. But wait for me. Don't fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Hope you aren't still fucking. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
So, uh, yeah, so his likewise, his fame and his wealth had not translated to very much respect uh, by the actual English high society. Um, like the actual fancy explorers clubs didn't like him very much. And the issue was his unspeakable brutality. In 1876, explorer Richard Burton wrote a letter to the consul of Zanzibar complaining that Stanley, quote, shoots Negroes as if they were monkeys. And Richard Burton is a guy who killed a fuckload of innocent black people. Yeah. Like, and he's like, this dude is, cu- this guy, <laughs> like, fuck, man. <laughs> you got a wow. pro. It's like, it's like having my namesake, producer Robert Evans, sit you down to talk about your Coke problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 The guy who's already famously terrible. <laughs> yeah. Listen, this is too much. You cannot yeah. kill them. Like their animals. Yeah. What? I don't not, know the difference. Yeah. So this became a big topic of controversy within English society. And the specific clash that Burton was pissed about was a firefight with a tribe called the Bambira, uh, who stole, or who Henry Morton Stanley claimed stole from him. In his periodic dispatches from the Congo, Stanley had bragged about the, quote, 14 dead and wounded with ball and buckshot, which, although I should consider to be a very dear payment for the robbery of eight ash oars and a drum, was barely equivalent in fair estimation to the intended massacre of ourselves. So this is what he writes in one of his like public documents is we killed 14 of them because they stole some oars. Yeah, and a drum. <laughs> yeah. And like it wasn't a totally fair exchange because those were nice oars, but you know more or less. <laughs> and we killed them. And yes, that is yeah. it's, a t- it's a steep price to pay. But isn't their it, death worth less than my death? Yeah. So for Stanley, killing all these people wasn't enough. He took his two hundred and eighty man force, armed with muskets and spears, waving American and British flags, and then slaughtered forty two Bambira that he'd tricked into believing he wanted to talk. The Saturday Review wrote this in London quote. He has no concern with justice, no right to administer it. He comes with no sanction, no authority, no jurisdiction, nothing but explosive bullets and a copy of the Daily Telegraph, who he's writing for at the time. So it is important to note that like while all of the worst parts of colonialism are going on, kind of like while all the worst crimes of our own era are going on, there's a lot of people in England who are like, oh, it seems really fucked up what we're doing. Hey, guys, this is bad. This is bad. And just as now, they don't stop any of it from happening. But right. They are there and they're pissed. So well, that's comforting. Yeah, yeah, I guess. <laughs> Ish. Yeah. So there was a lot of outrage uh, over Stanley's behavior, but uh, as we're all familiar with today, public outrage never stopped anyone from staying rich and famous. So if you'll recall, King Leopold's grand scheme was to give himself access to the Congo by conning the international community into believing that he was going to open it up to free trade for everybody. And what what happened on paper is that all these tribes in Central Africa signed contracts giving up their sovereignty to a new state called the Congo Free State, which was in theory a nation of theirs, and Belgium was going to help them by providing the core of their military and like helping them organize and become a real nation to join the community of nations uh none of this was really true none of the people who signed these contracts really knew what they were doing and it was all just to provide leopold with a legal justification for other europeans so that he could rule the congo and stanley is the guy who got him these justifications he was hired by leopold for five years to act as basically a secret agent traveling to africa under an assumed name and making a series of treaty deals with different tribal chiefs. 
Now, depending on who you read, Stanley signed somewhere between 300 and 450 of these treaties. And the gist of them all was that these tribes would hand over their sovereignty and ownership of their land in exchange for scraps of cloth and vaguely defined trade benefits. And Geel disagrees with academic consensus here. Most historians... Yeah. Most historians will argue that Stanley basically knew what he was doing with Leopold. Gild claims that, with some evidence, that Stanley didn't intend to get these tribes to sign away their sovereignty totally or forever, and that Leopold tricked him and destroyed some of the original treaties and replaced them. That's totally possible, because King Leopold was a piece of shit and would have had no issue with lying to Stanley, because he was a way smarter liar than Henry Morton Stanley. But also, Stanley knew... If not every detail of what he was doing, he knew the broad strokes, you know? Yeah. That's really what matters. And he contributed massively to the deaths of 10 to 13 million people in the Congo Free State. Um, And, of course, the establishment of the Free State, the fact that Belgium had suddenly wound up with basically all of Central Africa, helped to spark what came to be known as the Scramble for Africa. When all of Europe's powers, startled by the fact that, you know, when they all started filling Africa up with colonies and, and conquering it and killing people and laying the groundwork for the Rwandan genocide and all sorts of awful, awful stuff. Uh, Now, the justification used for all of this was the need to destroy the Arab slave trade and replace it with legitimate commerce, with free trade, right? That's the justification for all of this. It's the same as Stanley's personal justification. Uh, We've got to stop slavery, and the only way to do that is for us to own these people. Right. Now... Under such justifications, Africa was enchained by Europe. By 1890, the situation and justification for domination had gotten so absurd that Scottish explorer Joseph Thompson dismissed the term legitimate commerce as, quote, magic words which give such an attractive glamour to whatever can creep under their shelter, words which have too often blinded a gullible public to the most shameful and criminal transaction. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Words. Yep. Not wrong, Joseph Thompson. You know what else is not wrong, Robert? The products and services that support this uh, podcast? Absolutely. Yes. None of them have sparked the scramble for Africa. Well. Well. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild mini-games. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums, delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches, unique playing pieces, and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. With their flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, The CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. You'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. 
Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. We're back. Oh, good ads. I particularly liked the ad for conquering Africa and murdering millions of people there. Really a good yeah. way to end slavery. I know. They made it they made the case. It was I was hesitant at first, I'll be honest, and then hearing their position on it in the 32nd spot, I realized mm-hmm. I was wrong. Yeah. I was the wrong. Yeah. Weird that they got Bill Murray to voice it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, good pitchman, but I wouldn't have called it. I I mean Now Certainly a different second act than I anticipated from him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, uh, in 1887, Stanley departed on what would become his final trip from Africa, the Emin Pasha Relief Expedition. Pasha was an Eastern European blowhard and a pseudo-grifter who ennobled himself to the English people by resisting the followers of the Mahdi in southern Sudan. And this is most similar in modern things, because we really don't have time to get into this very complicated story. It was kind of like this era's equivalent of ISIS. This guy rises up, he like beats a, a European army, and it's this like real shocking uh, move, and like he he's raises up his own Islamic kingdom. It's this like it's a big deal at the time. They they would they treated him like ISIS. Like I'm not gonna say that he was he was actually like because ISIS sucked ass. Uh, I don't know if the Mahdi did or not. I don't know enough, but that's the way they they talk about him, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, So Pasha wound up surrounded and cut off by the forces of the Mahdi, and Stanley was dispatched to relieve him. And the whole operation was a shit show. Again, all of Stanley's white colleagues died, so he was able to blame sundry failures and massacres committed by his execution on dead men, which is very handy for Stanley. Uh, Because this expedition massacres so many fucking people. Um, Now, they didn't make it hard for him to look bad. One of his white companions who didn't survive was James Jameson, the heir to the Jameson whiskey family. He died on Stanley's second trip, but not before buying a young girl from a slave trader and paying cannibals to let him watch them eat her. Um, Now, (sighs) Jameson was known as cannibal whiskey by many for years later. And this might not be true. A lot of people will say it's not. And a lot of people who have no interest in defending Jameson, because there's just a lot of fucking stories, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know the truth. This is a story people tell about this this expedition. Um, the trip was a massive shit show, and a lot of people died. And at the end of it, Emin Pasha didn't really wind up wanting or needing rescue, so Stanley took him along to Zanzibar anyway, where Pasha attempted to commit suicide. Um, after all this, it seems Henry Morton Stanley had finally had enough of adventuring. He retired to England. <laughs> he lost his taste for that. 
Yeah, he did. How? He, yeah, he, he retired in England. He married a, a Welsh artist named Dorothy Tennant. And kind of to his credit, he adopts a, a Welsh abandon, a bastard child. Like he, he finds like a poor abandoned kid who's like he was and he adopts him and loves him. So that's that's good. Yeah, he he's in need of a boy. Yeah, he needed a boy. He got himself another boy. <laughs> he's always got a boy. And this one finally didn't die immediately. So that's good. That's wonderful. Oh, what a Very happy nice. ending for Henry. A happy ending for Henry. In 1899, Stanley became a Knight of the Order of Bath. He settled into a dignified retirement, with both U.S. and Britain proudly claiming him as their son. He became a liberal member of Parliament in 1895, and he died in 1904. The stigma that re- remained around all of his murders stopped him from winning a Westminster Abbey burial, but he did receive a nice memorial. The epitaph reads, Bula Matari, the Breaker of Stones. This was a nickname he'd been given by Africans who were like, this guy is such a brutal piece of shit like that's the kind of guy he is like he's the fucking hard enough to break stones or whatever yeah um yeah uh but stanley actually really liked this nickname which is why you should never fucking give a piece of shit a nickname that sounds cool yeah like call him fart master you know <laughs> yeah like, something yeah something he can live yeah. with he can hang something on him the rest of his life he's not gonna put on his his grave uh i'm gonna quote from oxford university press again he gloried in the name Bula Matari, the breaker of rocks, portraying the story of African exploration as a quest for mastery of the earth. Stanley's geography was ever a militant and manly science, dedicated to the subjugation of wild nature. Its books and maps were weapons of conquest rather than objects of contemplation. The study of geography, he proclaimed in 1885, ought to lead us to something higher than collecting maps and books of travel and afterwards shelving them as of no further use. Why travel? You're not going to conquer. Wow. He's a bad tourist. Yeah. So... For most of the last hundred years and change, a consensus has evolved that Stanley was a real big piece of shit. And this has been mostly universal, even among his biographers, until Tim Geale came around and published Stanley, Africa's Greatest Explorer. And saved him. Saved and him saved from him from the, yeah. the evils of history. Because as we know, history is written by the mm-hmm. victims. Yeah. <laughs> and I will I will give I will give Jill this. This is probably the most impressively researched justification for mass murder that I've ever read. I've never read anyone's put as much work into defending a guy who killed an enslaved people for his own benefit. Like he really he fucking puts in the legwork wow. to defend this monster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, it's almost sort of inspiring. I, I kind of wish, I, I kind of hope that when, if, if there's ever a biography written about me, someone like Jill writes it and they can, they can frame, yeah, they can frame moments like, and Robert had no choice but to vomit on the sushi of that Ukrainian <laughs> couple out for a nice night at the restaurant. What were his other options? <laughs> to vanish, to vomit on the people next to them? The puke was going somewhere, and he made the only call he could at the time. <laughs> the most heroic choice, I would say. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, Jesus. You really yeah. do, yeah. Everybody should have a Jill in their life. Yeah. I I want to have I I kind of want to hear Jill do Hitler. <laughs> yeah. like, I know I know he wants to deep down. I kind of want to hear his Hitler. <laughs> oh man, um, uh, his Andrew Jackson. I want to. I just. Oh yeah. I'm so curious. Like, I, he's he. I don't think he would actually do Hitler, but he would totally do Jackson. Yeah. Yeah. Now. Geel, we've given, I think, a well-deserved drubbing in this episode. What he did didn't happen in a vacuum. And I, I think I need to close this out by quoting from a very important book called The Imperial History Wars, Debating the British Empire. Yeah, And it explains the context that this biography we've been talking shit about came out in. 
Quote, by 2012, a new documentary series about Britain's imperial past was being aired on British TV. This one a BBC production with Newsnight interviewer Jeremy Paxman, who guided his viewers through amazing stories of adventure. It's nothing short of a scandal, Paxman scolded, that this history is not taught in schools. The purpose of the series, he explained, was to refute the conventional view that the British Empire was a thoroughly bad thing. The TV (laughs) person... The TV personality, this is where people are going to be bummed. The TV personality and naturalist Sir David Attenborough apparently did not get the memo. He complained that Paxman was far too negative about the British Empire. Other figures who felt that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Other prominent figures who felt that the public needed to be re-educated about the virtues of the British Empire and the achievements of its heroes were the popular historians Andrew Roberts, Lawrence James, and Max Hastings. The biographer Tim Geale wrote a book about Henry Morton Stanley that declared him to be Africa's greatest explorer and dismissed charges that he had massacred Africans during his expeditions and that he bore any respect. We all know Geale. Yeah. Uh, Stanley became one of the leading proponents of a controversial campaign to erect a statue honoring Stanley at his place of birth, the Welsh town of Dinby. As Geale saw it, the time had come to dispense with post-imperial guilt. For Gilles and those who share his views, this call to arms was fueled in part by resentment as what he dismissed as the moral brownie points politicians and others sought to accrue by well-publicized apologies for crimes committed by earlier generations. He was no doubt alluding to Tony Blair's apologies for Britain's role in the African slave trade and the Irish potato famine, Gordon Brown's role in the export of child migrants to Australia and other colonies, and David Cameron's apology for the bloody Sunday massacre in Derry. (laughs) They call it London Derry, but yeah, it's... uh, <laughs> During a visit to India, Cameron also conceded that the British bore some blame for the conflict over Kashmir and expressed regret with the Washington Post called a near apology over the Amritsar massacre of 1919. Uh, so it maybe has very little to do with Henry Morton Stanley. Then Jill is just like trying to defend himself so badly, and like yeah, that's that's all these guys are doing. That right at the end of the day, they're defending themselves as heirs to the British Empire, which is important to them. Right. You know, when we come from a culture that was built and attained, you know, what would would be called greatness, uh, at least in sort of the amoral sense, just in the objective, like the British Empire was great in the same way that like a fucking uh, a boxer can be great, even if they're a piece of shit. It's just a, a, a term of relative, you know, power and influence. Uh, people who come from those cultures, which is most people at one point or another, if you dig back long enough, yeah. y- you have to decide what do you, how do you, how do you deal with that? You yeah. know, do you do you come up with justifications for why your ancestors did horrible things, um, or do you like? I think it's often wrongly written as like the options are either take pride in it or feel ashamed and it's shitty to want people to feel ashamed for things they didn't do and it's not that at all i don't feel any shame personal shame for like slavery it's just like yeah people it's a horrible thing that people in the past did i didn't do it but i'm not going to pretend it wasn't a nightmarish evil that persists to this day in a lot of its harms on society and that still has not been made close to right uh it's not a it's this this attitude that like you have two options, which is like feel horrible as a human being for this or pretend it was fine. And you don't. Right. You those have are, the option. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have yeah. to be one of those in one of those camps. You can and you're absolutely right. Like you you can acknowledge that this was something horrible that existed in history and that you still benefit from today. And you think about ways in which you can try and write it within your own yes. life. But you weren't the one who was actually killing people. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I'm, sh- I, there's a well. I, I don't know. Like my, I, I, I don't know enough of my genealogy to know if the scramble for Africa had any of my relatives in it. But there's a decent chance. Good chance. And like, yeah, the scramble for Africa. Like all, all of colonialism in Africa was a, a, a history of unspeakable historic grade war crimes, um, and that's bullshit. And there's a lot that we should be doing to write it including like reparations to just fucking to 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 to, to yeah. nations in africa there's a whole lot that needs to be done and it's a very complicated discussion and you don't have to like beat yourself up about it because you didn't do anything about it to not be like but that was fucked up and we should do something about that right <laughs> like <laughs> yeah yeah we should we should do something here huh i think what um, we should probably do is i mean they're they're We've done so much damage to the entire continent that we send a bunch of yeah yeah maybe if we were just to send a bunch of you know civilized people like us oh, there that's to, a great option we would draw <laughs> basically what I would call a white line through the continent yeah we can establish these little these little communities in there that can let us like travel through it and we can facilitate order and ah soren we did it we invented colonialism again oh damn oh, it. oh jesus okay. oh yeah. fuck oh, i see how easy it is to fall into <laughs> yeah. that trap of inventing colonialism it really oh boy you know now that we've had this experience i think i'm gonna write an 1800 page book about how king leopold had no other option to do what he did <laughs> we <laughs> need <laughs> rubber everyone needs rubber have you seen galoshes? They're amazing. <laughs> what was he to do? <laughs> his hands uh, were tied. I mean, not literally like his slaves, but figuratively. <laughs> I mean, he actually did still have hands, which is much... <laughs> oh, it's a nightmare. Yeah. Oh, Soren, how does this compare to what you'd expected for the tale of Henry Morton Stanley? Uh, he did a lot more terrible things than I anticipated. He sure did. He was a busy man. But I do. I'm very charmed by his lying. It's incredible. Uh, I'm charmed by how much, how invested he was in making himself seem like a badass to the point where like he he lost track of his lies and then just started inventing anytime that he needed a number. It was just like a bigger number, regardless of whether it was yeah. a good or bad thing. This is a key story for all grifters. You have to be very, whatever thing it is you do that makes you great, um, you have to be perfectly consistent about it. Stanley's whole thing is he lied about stuff to make a more exciting story so that he would be famous, and he never stopped. He was unbearably consistent in his lying, and it's why he was great. It's like how L. Ron Hubbard was incredibly consistent in his lying, and so he was able to die worth $700 million being worshipped as a god. It's like how Donald Trump has done nothing but lie his entire life and is the president of the United States. They're all the same guy at a certain level. Yeah. Even if they didn't grow up in a poorhouse. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. They're all fundamentally, at their heart of hearts, the same individual they share a soul (laughs) (laughs) and that soul sucks so hard (laughs) (laughs) well this has been a lot of fun good good soren (laughs) you want to plug anything no plug this new idea to establish a series of trading posts throughout africa (laughs) i'm uh, look i think i still need to bounce some ideas around before i really lay it on the world because yeah i'm sensing that they might have a couple of, of holes yeah. Well, I know one thing, which is that I'm going to hire a small child to hold my guns. That, oh, obviously. That, that, that seems like a thing worth doing. <laughs> it goes without saying that you bring somebody with you to witness all of your greatness. Yeah. Good Aww. God. 
Oh, that's the story of Henry Morton Stanley. You can find the story of us on our website, BehindTheBastards.com. You can buy t-shirts on TeePublic. You can do you want continue... Me to, do you want me to do... I'll, it's fine. I, I feel like you like it now, Sophie. Well, I feel like now you're to... angry when I do that. Well, because you do it not as good. I don't. It's fine. I should just do it. Yeah, so you, you want to give it a shot? Yeah, I don't know what we're doing, but I'm going to try it. Okay, just do hey, something. Yeah, you're allowed to get all... We got all kinds of merch out there, ladies and gentlemen. Go to Tee Public and get our shirts. We got Anderson on some of our shirts, and we got Behind the Bastards on others. We're also got a Patreon that you can donate to. And we've nope. got... Oh, okay, no Patreon. Take that money that you would have... Halfway there, though. You you were were doing great. Much better than Robert, actually. Nailed it. (laughs) That's all we need to do. So, colonize your own... Don't do anything Robert's rooms. saying. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Just <laughs> stay the fuck indoors. And wash your hands. Or go on a run. Yeah, tell the truth. Don't lie about how many people you social distance from. Be honest about the number of people. It's and about 7 hands. billion. <laughs> That's the episode. Yeah. Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. With their flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, the CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. You'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Plus. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.